0: I have absolutely no idea what we're doing here, or what I'm doing here, or what this place is about, but I am determined to enjoy myself.
1: Now you want to talk about reading? Let's talk about reading.
2: Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. Ready to go, Doc? Oh yes, yes, my dear fellow, I'll just check the gyroscopes. Hello, and welcome to the Appendix N Book Club. This is episode 83 on Jack Williamson's The Humanoids. With me today is that servant of humankind, Hoy.
1: Service, Jeff Goad.
2: (laughs) And our special guest today is the founder of New Agenda Publishing, curator for More Seats at the Table, editor of Hashtag Feminism, co-creator of O-Run, post-apotheosis Afrocentric space opera RPG, and a sensitivity reader and contributor to many other great games, Misha B. Hi, how's it going? Hi, Misha. Hey, Misha, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. So we always like to ask everybody that cliche question, how did you get into gaming?
3: Uh, So uh, I had gone with a friend of mine to see uh, Mortal Kombat, and we're waiting around. Yeah, I know this. It, I promise. There's, there's <laughs> it. Uh, so we're waiting around because we're broke college students, so we have to rely on public transportation. So we get there early because you know you gotta go when the train is running. So we're sitting in the um, uh, food court of the uh, mall with the with the theater, and I look over and there are these guys, and they've got books and dice out on their table, and they're like rolling up something, and so we're like, hey, what you doing? And they're like, "Oh, well, we're 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 getting ready to start a Earthdawn campaign um, tomorrow at Georgia Tech, which is where I was going to school. Uh, you guys want to join us?" And we said, "Sure." Uh, and so the rest, as they say, was history.
2: Amazing! I think you will be our first guest whose first game was Earthdawn. That's, that's a very I, specific very intro. <laughs> like I did
3: not play D and D until probably a good ten years into gaming.
1: Wow. But obviously, yeah. it was very—it was a positive enough experience to get you completely hooked yeah. into the, the hobby as a whole. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah.
3: The, that, there was a good—it was a good group guys. It, mm. it was—it was a lot of fun.
1: Okay, and That's um, really cool. Did you branch out fairly quickly, or were you staying with Earthdawn for for a uh, good chunk of time?
3: So let's see. We played Earthdawn for a good like six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Deadlands. We did Shadowrun. We did um, Warhammer Fantasy. We did. Uh, Role master. role master we played for a very long time
0: mm-hmm.
3: white wolf of all stripes yeah like i said we, we did D for like two weeks three weeks and <laughs> it was like yeah i like warhammer better and so we went
0: back to that uh and
3: uh yeah and then like more recently more of the the like fates and you're powered by the apocalypse stuff uh uh monster hearts i'm in like several uh, play-by-posts of mass games, uh, which oh, is cool. always fun. Yeah, I, I actually like the format because you can actually do it, like, more often because... You can sit there while on your phone and play while you know your kids are doing stuff from home now because right. that is the world we're living in.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. I was, it's funny because when you mentioned food court at
2: a mall, I'm like, "That's quaint." I I remember that vaguely.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very long ago. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's so weird. I'll watch a movie and they'll you like you know how in so many of the movies there are like those like like the rave scene or whatever, and I'm just like, "Wow, people used to gather together right. and yeah. like dance to music." <laughs> or
3: I, I've noticed that like a lot of commercials nowadays are putting like recorded before or like please social distance and wear your mask and I'm like oh wow that's but I am seeing also more commercials where they've gone back and like retro added masks to like the the animated characters. Wow. It's very
2: weird. <laughs> that's amazing now misha how much um kind of fantasy and science fiction reading were you doing um have, have you done so far in your life are, are you a big uh, i'm i'm a big sci-fi reader? fantasy
3: person um more fantasy than sci-fi uh, especially the hard sci-fi is not usually my bag yeah. um but fantasy definitely from the time i was a kid uh, my mom was a giant Tolkien fan when i was a kid so mm-hmm. like i grew up on the hobbit and the last unicorn and
0: mm-hmm. and
3: uh Worked my way through uh, pretty much most of the like fantasy canon, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's something I still i today. love the last
2: unicorn why no. do
3: you come to me now I know. <laughs> that resonates so much different as an adult
1: now now were you um aware of the kind con- of concept of appendix and uh before you were asked to do it on the show and, and have not. you looked at the list okay all right <laughs>
3: just because i am not uh I, I i find that i can't i'm not a podcast person because I can't concentrate on audio and do other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not something I usually do. Um, okay. uh, so it's not your not, not
1: fault. It's,
3: no, no, no. uh, uh, like, uh, it's just podcast isn't my thing. I was thinking about the, the,
1: the reading list that was associated with Appendix N, I guess, from Gary Gagax. Oh, gotcha. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: Uh, I've, I've read a, a good bit of the stuff that's on the list.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, so, okay.
2: Cool, cool. So taking a look at um, Jack Williamson's The Humanoid, starting with which edition of the book are you working with, Misha? Uh, So
3: I got the the, uh, Kindle edition uh, (laughs) from, uh, I think this one they released, it says it was from 75. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, it didn't give me a-
1: a Right. Does it have the uh, short story first or just goes right into the novel?
2: It just goes right into the novel. Got Yes. Same right. Same with mine. Okay. I've got this um, 1966 printing of the 1963 paperback with the Ed M. Schwiller cover. And we've got our black, shiny um, humanoid with the syringe full of euphoride. And we've got... Uh, dr clay Forster being um held in the background and there's all these like pretty like swirls in the background right and it says the robots ruled with gentle hands but men's minds were enslaved mm. um that's what i've got what are you working with hoy
1: i have the 1996 orb trade paperback which has the um original short story uh with folded hands uh included as well and it has some um They're from the 80s, but they almost look like uh, Lindward woodcuts in here. Um, (laughs) So there's a bunch of illustrations in there as well. So that's what I'm working from today.
2: Very cool. And before we dive into the library, we'll take a look at our Hygaxian word of the day. Cumulus. Cumulus. And cumulus basically just means a big fluffy cloud. And it's a fancy word for a fluffy cloud. (laughs) And you can find cumulus on page 56. And it says at least uh, 56 of my edition, uh, the thick concrete aprons had shattered and buckled under the weight of that black hull, which towered so high that a white tuft of cumulus had formed about its peak. So that is our word for the day, cumulus. Um, So heading on into the library. um, Misha, you're a sensitivity reader. From the perspective, let's start with (laughs) from the perspective of a sensitivity reader. What did you think of Jack Williamson's The Humanoids? Let's start there.
3: Uh, So there wasn't anything like that, that I would probably flag as blatantly like, yes, yes, blatantly offensive. Uh, It's it's an interesting perspective. It's not one that I would ascribe to myself,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
3: but it is also very much does show, Okay, this book was written in the 40s. (laughs) Uh, and and so some of the uh, maybe not the concepts are the the most up-to-date like it 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 reads like a, a little bit too anti-vaxer for my personal taste. Uh, as, <laughs> yeah, as a not parent, mask wearing, right? yeah, not yeah. It's very like mm, the government is going to to keep us from from doing anything, and we're going to lose our freedoms. And I'm that like, damn
2: nanny state.
3: Oh, yeah, it's like very. Mm, I don't <laughs> know if I would release this now. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Uh, so yeah. And then, just from the perspective of somebody who enjoys reading um, fantasy and a little bit of sci-fi, what did you think of this book?
3: Not my favorite. Uh, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's a little too too, and it's not that it's dystopian because I I'm a fan of dystopian fiction. Uh, it's it's the whole yeah, the it's I
2: guess too libertarian kind of that yeah. ideal for my my personal taste. Mm-hmm. I can see that. One thing that I thought was really interesting is. Um, On page 51 of my edition, right when the humanoids have landed and they're kind of making their sales pitch to the planet. And they're saying, our service, I'm sorry, our only function is to promote human welfare. Once established, our service will remove all class distinctions along such other, um, with, with, with such other causes of unhappiness and pain, such as war and poverty, toil and crime. There will be no class of toilers because there will be no toil. And that right there sounds amazing. And then also we have the, uh, the people who are fighting against the humanoids. And on page 106, they're talking about their philosophy. And their philosophy says, but the worth and the dignity and the rights of every individual are the values of my philosophy and the cause I struggle for. And then later they say, even the freedom to do wrong. So it's like both sides of this major conflict have these like on the surface, very relatable and very worthy causes that they're fighting for. There is no clear, this side is evil, this side is wrong. It's just, it's it's kind of an interesting take on any ideology taken too far becomes destructive.
3: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, like uh, the, the whole concept of, um, they, they've created this, like the, the robots are coming in as this own permanent underclass which is kind of a, an interesting thing. So, like, okay, there's not going to be any toilers because there's not going to be any toil. Well, yeah, that sounds great, and and not having to do the crap jobs, but there is still a a, a um there's a very puritanical streak running through of uh, you are defined by what you can give to society as mm-hmm. opposed to you are just defined by being you, mm-hmm. uh, which is more like, and it it has that undercarriage of. Um, there's a bit of an, uh, an ableism undertone to it. It's like, okay, well, great if you can't toil, then you have no value. Is that what you're saying? I'm not understanding. Mm, right. And so the the idea of, okay, well, we we we're fighting against this because we want to have value, and we want to have worth, and we want to toil, and we want to to do these to do these things, including break, you know, do bad things. That's it's a thing, yes, like i I does that mean like I won't tell my kids that they have to wear their bicycle helmets? No, bicycle helmets are there for safety. Yeah. and like do I want to tell like the government, yes, I would like you to continue to make sure that the water quality is of a standard that is good for my health um and then like, you know, yes, I, I very much support making sure people are are keeping uh mass like I was so happy last night was Halloween here, uh and normally my block gets literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids coming through trick or treating and last night it was like 20 30 and i was like so happy that that was actually happening that people were actually yeah. taking that initiative for themselves so huh. i i'm not necessarily saying that yes if you give people the choice that they will always do right because no not everybody will that that's just a thing but if you make if you make it so that people have an educated and informed Decision more often than not, they will make the right one. Mm-hmm. And so, you can't just say, Okay, no, you can't do that, but say, Hey, no, that's not a good idea because, and then, yeah, if they still want to do something stupid, yeah, go for it. Let yourself do something stupid. That's fine. Uh, so, I can see both sides of the argument there. And that's one of those rare things where I will actually say that kind of thing uh, because usually both sides, not really a thing. Right, uh, sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Making an informed decision is is something that I support fully.
2: Yeah. Well, and I, I feel like reading it from a contemporary perspective is really interesting because, you know, I feel like we're all bringing a lot of that kind of style of thinking to this text, where I think the text is maybe coming more from a place of um, responding to, um, to nuclear developments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of looking at it more from kind of a, a lot of the kind of um social um debates that we're seeing in our country right now over like s- the state should decide this the federal right. government should decide this i should be able to decide this for myself kind of thinking right. um and it's like right now we're seeing like for example we're seeing in our society right now some of the major problems with unchecked capitalism
0: mm-hmm. right
2: and then people but people look at the opposite of that and they think like well that means you want us to become communists and like we've also seen in the past hundred years unchecked communism also bad, mm-hmm. right. but it's like anything completely unchecked and completely taken to its uh, to like the absurd level, um, obviously is not a good thing. Yeah, and, and does not work. Right. Yeah, absolute <laughs> power
3: corrupts absolutely. So you know, like any exactly. one anything you, you take to, to the extreme is gonna right. to, gonna go tits right. up.
1: Let me add another uh, component to that, which is that I know that Jack Williamson was um, very much into uh, psychotherapy. And so that this is also potentially talking about just the development as the, of the individual because there are development of individual powers too. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's, here it's literally getting to psionics, but it's also the, the capacity, the human is just, as you were saying, the ability to make a decision, the human is saying, you don't have the ability to make a reasonable decision yet, the same way that we would look at our three year old and say, no, you can't put your hand on the stove, right? And that's what they're thinking, right? Um, one of the, an interview I read with him says that he grew up literally in a adobe hut with no door in the mm-hmm. high desert in North, um, New Mexico. And there was literally scorpions and snakes on the floor of their house. And his, his mother, he was the youngest child, just kept him in the crib for what he thinks was much too long. He says, I would have been rather being on the floor with the snakes and serpents, uh, snakes and scorpions. But, but she's like, no, I mean, it's my baby, I can't, yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> right. Um, so I think there's playing out of some of those themes, but then writ large at a sort of social level, but we can also bring it back and look at it at an individual level. Our protagonist, or I should say our, our protagonists, our point of view character, who is not necessarily the protagonist, mm-hmm. uh, Carpenter, has to go through these stages, right, in this book, right? He's, he's super rational, but he's emotionally stunted from the very, and it's even made clear. It's not us looking at it. It's made clear in the text that he's emotionally stunted, right? He yeah. neglects his wife. He doesn't understand... The richness, he's hes kind of jealous of Ironsmith because Ironsmith has a very rich emotional life, which he doesn't have, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I mean,
3: uh, it's it's like I said, it, it's very much a 40s style character where, like, mm-hmm. okay, you've got this guy, he has a job, he goes to work, he comes home, he's not necessarily great to his wife, but and but and he sees like something that somebody else has and he thinks he wants it, but he's not sure how to get that, right? Um, yeah. And a lot of it would be like solved but hey, how do you just talk that's um
2: right. <laughs> little things. and also like right now in this in this world too, like this is a world where there are these um triplanet agents who have been um uh, pocketing away these like little egg sized devices that can blow up entire planets all over the place, so we're looking at this society that's like Right at the brink of like absolute destruction from um, from technology, and then in swoops the the humanoids. So it's kind of like it it feels like it's a which hell do you want kind of mm-hmm. story. Like it's going to be hell no matter what, but you have to pick hell A or hell B. Yeah,
3: yeah. Hell, where hell A is like oh all nice and soft and fluffy and squishy, and hell B is literally like oh burning and fire and stuff
2: exactly yeah and at the very end of the story like we don't have a happy ending but we kind of do because they're all happy but (laughs) what did you think of the ending misha it's artificially happy
3: uh (laughs) it was not yeah no (laughs) that's a no for me i i mean it's it felt a little like a cop-out um yeah uh, and yeah just
1: really and i think i haven't read the sequel which he wrote like 40 years later in 1980 um but he did mentioned that a lot of people felt that the ending was either cop out or just ambiguous and he wrote the sequel i don't know to address that or just to give another lens on it so i, I really don't know i'd be interesting to see what he thought about it because he wrote right up to the end i mean he lived till like 2006 yeah and he was like in his 90s um so it'd be interesting to see what happened um and jeff another thing i just found out um he has a freaking co-writer with frederick Pohl, who uh, grew up here in brooklyn who was mm. uh, an out and out communist and so it's interesting to see. Um, here's a guy who came from the, the sort of rugged West. Um, he, by all accounts, he was a humanist, but he definitely, as you say, Misha had a, had a libertarian streak in there. And so it's interesting to see, you know, how he got, all, got along with an outright communist. And I would be interested to read their sort of their collaboration yeah. and see how, how that went.
3: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've known some some like super out there libertarians. and Like there are some things we have in common, right. but not necessarily everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but enough that like, okay, we can have a respectful conversation and maybe even a collaboration as long as we stay away from these topics.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I'll, this is only the second Williamson I've read and I certainly didn't get any libertarian vibes from him in the first book. So I'll be curious to see if as we go on, we get more of a libertarian vibe from him or if that's kind of more just kind of what came out through this character that he was exploring. Right,
1: right. And I wouldn't say like in the Ayn Rand sense of libertarian, just more yeah, just yeah. like someone who grew up in the West, literally grew up in the yeah, West. No, r- of li- more
3: the rugged individualism, you know, yeah. you're on your own kind of kind of libertarianism rather than the evil style.
2: Right. Yeah, not the if you can't work, you should just starve on yeah. the street. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's your that's your lot in life. <laughs> right, right.
1: No, I mean, because the humanoids were specifically like oh there will be no more toil and oh the doctor doesn't need to do this, so he's writing plays or poetry and painting now and and so maybe it is okay to free people up to do this things but yeah but it's also cutting off these channels of knowledge well no you can't investigate the physical sciences because that's too dangerous or yeah. you know whatever <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean, like like just even like even with kids like you know okay you, you're going to have some kids who prefer to go off and like do artsy, party stuff and you're going to have some kids who prefer. No, I, I want to know why that works and how that works and let me take it apart and may- see why it ticks. And and there's room in the world for both both those extremes. And so like remo- just like cutting off an entire avenue of thing because
2: it's too dangerous is just weird. <laughs> Comparing this, Hoy, to the last book we read, we have kind of two very interesting um, juxtapositions of, like, the views of, like, the value of, quote-unquote, degenerates. Right. You know, like, in um, in we, the last story we read, Misha, was... Um, um,
1: Sherlock Holmes's War of the Worlds. I almost
2: said Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes's War of the Worlds, and in it we've got this Professor Challenger, who at this point, like, yeah, Sherlock Holmes is walking around during the World w- War of the World invasion, um, but we've also got this character um, um, Professor Challenger, who at this one moment, like, this one scene is like walking around and they're like all these like drunk people who are like partying and he's just like oh you know it's fine if they all die they don't they don't do anything for society Uh, but in Williamson's story here we have like this Mr. White and uh, there's this great part I love where he says look at them the most talented citizens of this planet I found them in the gutter the jail the madhouse but they are the last hope of man Mm -hmm. and like it's really fun to see like a character in this story who doesn't see these people as like waste of space and a waste of no, these are, these are, these are the people who actually like they have value that humanity, um, isn't really projecting onto them.
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, and and to bring that back to like current times, it's like where, where have you turned to as a source of comfort in the pandemic? It's actors, it's artists, it's musicians, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all those people whose value, whose, uh, we undervalue because, like, oh, you're just a struggling musician. You know, you, you know, go get a, a max, a, a better job, and you'll, you'll then you can maybe play with that in your off time, in your free time. It's like, no, mm-hmm. these are worthy things to right. pursue as a full time thing. You know, right. if it weren't for them, you would be bored as hell, and Netflix would not be exist. Right. So, <laughs> what, what would you be doing right now in these times of trouble without those? creative people, without those thinkers, without those things. Mm-hmm. And so to, to just say, you know, degenerates, okay, right. yeah, sure, that's what a lot right. of them are. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, Sherlock Holmes was like, uh, uh, he played violin. He did way too much cocaine and, right. and pot, and, but, you know, he still had a great mind. Yeah, This right, is right. what it is. And,
1: and he's more of a humanist than people give him credit for in, when you actually read the actual Holmes. Yeah, story. yeah. So, and you guys actually just sparked a couple things in me that I just thought about, too. Uh, I'm not really well-versed in sort of disability issues, but you could also read all of these characters as, um, quote-unquote... Um, Non neurotypical mm-hmm. because they're all psionics, psionicists, mm-hmm. right? This whole group that is Mark White's sort of uh, ragtag, uh, you know, resistance resistance movement. Yeah. Right. And so that they have different viewpoints and stuff and can see stuff that people who are sort of very straight jacketed by everyday society won't necessarily be aware of. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And so,
1: so I think there's something, I mean, it's, I think we're bringing it to it, but I don't think that it's not there. Let me put it that way. I yeah. Think I that, mean,
3: like, so uh, the 40s, uh, some of the, like, we, we tend to think of things like autism and and the, those kinds of spectrum uh, disorders as a new thing, but they've always been there. They just were thought of differently, like, you know, Ro- the Rose Kennedys of the world and and, and the uh, everybody had, like, you know, that kind of weird cousin or uncle or aunt who, like, didn't quite relate. Right. But we didn't have words for it. Right. Um, and, and the same with the, the queer communities, like you you had people who always probably felt this way but we didn't have words for it. And yeah. so now we have we words for it. We had spinsters and dandies. yeah, right. and, like, and like, you yeah. know, you had your, your aunt who, you know, never right. had a date in her entire life. Right. The confirmed bachelor. She like can right. fit. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And in modern terms, she may have been a lesbian. Or she, she, may been yeah. she may have been asexual. She like, yeah, right. there's lots of things that could have been going on yeah. there. Right.
0: But,
3: you know, and, and so some of them, I think they always existed. It's just we didn't have words for them. And we didn't talk about them as openly. So, um, mm-hmm. It's, I find, like, nowadays people are able to find communities of people like them just because they have access to larger quantities of people. Whereas, like, in the 40s, most people probably, and, you know, except so with the exception of, oh, yes, I went to war and came back, you probably didn't travel more than, like, 50 miles away from home, if that. Yeah. Um. Right. And so your, your, your world was much, much smaller.
1: Right, um, right. Yeah, and I think uh, to Williamson's credit, he... Sort of transcended as much as was possible his environment his his environment I mean again literally high desert there was no inkling I mean his parents were literally in like a covered wagon and went out there right yeah. you know so so there was no necessarily inkling that this is a guy who was like a lot of the terminology he's using there was like super current at the time cybernetics was literally is in this text It was literally a term that had been invented a year before this book the story came out. Mm-hmm. He's credited, they don't call it psionics yet in this book, but he's credited with creating the term psionics, I think, in 1951 in one of his short stories. Um, so he was really on it. And then he became an educator and um, continued to develop and nurture. And I, again, I would be interested to read his, like, his, his you know, sort of final works to kind of yeah. see where he had landed um, over, like, the course of a 60-year career. Because um, we often talk about some other people who are very problematic, but are fascinating like Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard and say, hey, you know, if Robert D. E. Howard had lived the normal lifespan, he would have lived into the sixties and seventies. What what would he have been like? Mm-hmm. Right. Um uh, you know, because they're just frozen in that time period. Whereas Jack Williamson, we have a, a person who has an arc. Yeah. And so I'd be fascinated to see how what else goes on there. And I think he was, um, as you say, it's very of his time, but it has inklings of seeing beyond that. It's not just um, you know, perfectly situated in like the, the status quo of yeah. uh, the 1940s
3: i will say he was much less uh i i saw a lot much less of the problematic like racist and sexist stuff i mean there's there's edges of it but more in the casual sense as opposed to the you no know, outright you know lovecraft you know okay you you named your right. cat what sense um right, yeah uh so from that perspective i do see him as a lot Further along in his thinking, maybe, is, is right. probably the best way of putting it. Than, right. than a lot Do you of... think
1: there's any significance in the fact that the humanoids were specifically described as being black? Uh, or...
3: I think there could have been. And again, I don't know how much of that would have been the idea of. So the idea of having your, your, your servant class being a black robot, there's a couple of things that it could have been. It could have just been background radiation radi- racism, right? Where, right. you know, it's like, OK, I'm just going to pick a color and it wasn't right. necessarily an intentional okay i'm i'm trying to harken back to slavery uh as opposed to okay you know and so you know at the same time like black and shiny and chrome and and the, that kind of futuristic look is still it's still an aesthetic today right. like you know your I mean, your your black uh, iphone <laughs> yeah your black <laughs> iPhones your your uh sleek black armor for for uh villains or darth Vader. darth <laughs> yeah. vaders your right. your your uh kylo ren's you know right. th- it's black is an amazing aesthetic I'd just say nice. the sleek right. black is, yeah. is a thing uh so i don't know if it was necessarily intentionally a choice for ra- race rather racially uh but i did find like some things like uh the, the the first little girl character whose name i'm totally blanking on right now jane um, carter jane yeah carter. uh when she, she's like okay yeah she's got dark brown skin and, and straight black hair and i'm like okay does that mean she's native american is that where you're coding from? It's like, and then like knowing like some of his background, like going back and reading some of his bags, like, oh, okay, well, maybe that was the lens he was using because you know if he grew up in the mountains and maybe that's right. the people he was coming in contact with,
1: right? And it's interesting because um, this th- uh, story specifically takes place ten thousand years in the future, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and we find out plan. that her, right, her name is not actually Jane Carter; it's just that we we, 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 were, we would recognize that as Jane Carter, right? Yeah. And a lot of the characters, I mean, Mark White is clearly. White. I mean, mm-hmm. it's in the name, but he's got a red beard and blue eyes and stuff like that. And a lot of the characters are coded as white. Um, the, the, the main scientist, Forrester, uh, Ironsmith, uh, has blonde hair, but also several times they're also mentioned as being brown, mm-hmm. right? Um, is that just because they're out in the desert or are they literally brown people? Yeah. Right? And this is 10,000 years in the future. Maybe our notions of race are not do not line up with our contemporary notions of race. Yeah. Right. And you so know, maybe, that was maybe
3: it has been so long that, like, you know, there has been enough uh, intermarriages and stuff that like, yeah, we're all kind of this like kind of pale coffee color
1: We're, we're all Brazilian. Yeah, yeah. We're all Brazilian
0: now. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: so it was interesting. I, I thought that was, um, uh, again, um, everything we read, we always bring, we always bring ourselves with mm-hmm. it, but it's still interesting to see what's there literally in the text as well. Yeah. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And one, one character that I thought, um, ended up being kind of an, an interesting lens to view, the main character through is his wife Ruth. So here we have um, Ruth Cleveland, um, great name, uh, Ruth Cleveland, and you know she, he he neglects her. He doesn't really care about her. He cares about her, but in the way that like he's he's glad to be fed and have a warm body to crawl into yeah. bed with. But um, one of like the first kind of like tragedies of the story is that like her will is taken away and she's now basically just like an adult child playing with blocks or whatever. But then later on, she kind of goes through this process where all of her kind of like um, her um, kind of willfulness and her like desire to fight against the humanoids has been stripped away. And now she's like got her former memories back. Um, But now she's fallen in love with Frank Ironsmith. And at first, you know, our our quote unquote protagonist, who we're supposed to be on the side of. He is ready to blow up this planet. But then when he finds out his wife's on there, he's like, oh, I can't blow it up. I can't blow it up. And then he goes to the planet. And now that he finds out that his wife doesn't love him anymore, he's like, okay, fine, fuck her. She can die. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God. Like, dude, 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 dude. Like, that's not cool. Um, So on one hand, like that could be like, is that like, you know, antiquated views on a woman's role? Or is that Jack Williamson um, kind of showing us that maybe our protagonist isn't as isn't as heroic and um, yeah I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the answer there is. What do you guys think about this? It could be both. It could completely be both. I think it can be
1: both. <laughs> I think it both and yeah. I, but I lean towards him laying the groundwork for the latter as well because it's very clear that that Forrester has regrets about even at very at the very beginning he has regrets about how is his relationship with his wife has developed, but not enough to override his sort of paternalistic scientific impulses. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that moment when he's willing to destroy this planet is also when you realize that he's maybe not really the protagonist of the story. He's just the viewpoint character of the story. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, women's live was still like, like I said, 48 women's lit. Like you had a ton of soldiers returning from the war who they're the women they left behind had stepped up capably. And they just expected them to turn on a dime and go back to being, you know, the housewife barefoot in the kitchen. And a lot of the women were like, no, I'm kind of cool. I I, li- I liked having a job and, and being out of the house and not being in the house. So, yeah, there's definitely some – you can kind of see some of the inklings of that, that that pushback right. of, like, no, I'm not going to.
1: Right. And she was painted yeah. as quite capable, right, even yeah. in the early relationship because she was the one who was, like, brought the teams together of the technicians and was, like, say, hey, here's your problem with all your computer systems mm-hmm. and, you know, I need to bring these people in. And then she's relegated to being outside the compound because she's not read in on the special project that he's on. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Totally. So, yeah. So, Misha, we go to the appendices of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide from 1979, and Gary Gygax lists out the authors that one should read for inspiration for your D&D game, and Jack Williamson is on that list. So, reading this, are you baffled, or can you see why this might be inspiration for your for your Advanced Dungeons & Dragons gaming? Uh,
3: so, I can see why it would be inspiration for gaming i don't necessarily see it for d d but then again uh-huh. i'm not a person who believes that d d can do everything yeah uh, so i i can I, see. I i can see how it's useful and how yeah it's it's interesting i can see how yeah you can see this is this is a totally different world i wouldn't run d d with a with an idea with a world set in uh in this fiction i would run a different yeah.
2: game what game would you run
3: uh i could see a cyberpunk game Oh, mm-hmm.
1: would you do this in Fate? Because Fate seems to accommodate different scales pretty well, which this does have, right? Like there's some stuff that's very domestic and some stuff is like galactic. Right? Yeah,
3: you you could definitely use Fate uh, as as a system to do it. Um, you, you'd have to do some tweaking, but yeah, you could definitely do the characters in Fate uh, mm-hmm. if you were just going to go for more of a story driven as opposed to like, okay, this is specifically what's going on.
2: Right. Um, sure. Well, and what about something like uh, Call of Cthulhu where, you know, you are somebody who's kind of up against, uh, 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 an end, like you're up against forces that are beyond your ability to control. Do you feel like that would be a good fit for I, this? I would
3: lean towards no, actually, because there isn't that horror aspect to it. Like the uh-huh. thing that, that you're fighting against is not necessarily going to, just knowing about it is not going to... Uh, make you lose touch with reality, like knowing what's going on, isn't going to change your life one way or another too much. Like mentally, it's like, okay, I can see it's going to change your worldview, but it's not going to change you personally, how you react to knowing what this thing is, is going to change you. It's going to change you more.
2: Then we also have telekinetics and people who can teleport and people who are clairvoyant and all of these things. What would you think about a low, a low powered supers system? For something like
0: this
3: uh i could i would i wouldn't set it in like this time i would set it like 20 years later okay. and like after these people have risen up and so you've got it like this would be right for a, a mass concept or a um with great power uh is another good system that i could see it working like, like I said, not right not right in this point but like after the the world's figured out and has lived with it for a little while and this is what's going on now
1: right and Obviously, they're leaving it at the cusp of this thing. It's funny because they specifically use the word colonize, right? At the end, right? they're going into this new galaxy, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, they haven't encountered anything other than human life in this uh, and the humanoids themselves, which are, you know, created by humans. Um, but how does the rest of the galaxy feel about all these, you know, superpowered humans suddenly, <laughs> you know, spreading out? Right? What does that mean? You yeah. Know? You know, what what kind of ethos would that mean if it means to protect humans and does it recognize all sentience as human, even, you know, all intelligence, or is that too weird and too different, you know? I mean, maybe that's another novel series, but I mean, that would definitely be a a great jumping off, as as you say, because 20 years later, this society would have sort of semi-stabilized. Yeah. Right. And then it would be interesting to see what the worm in the apple of this society is. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Misha, did you feel like there were any kind of concepts explored in this story that you think might be interesting to kind of explore further in a different kind of RPG setting? Not that I hadn't
3: already seen explored.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, like uh, the, the the whole idea of like, you know, uh, I won't say killer robots, but, you know, robots from outer space are coming and taking over the world. I mean, I, I, I've i written a playset, but it was it was aliens instead of robots. Um, yeah. So, it's a it's a concept and yeah it, it's a concept that is right for for creativity and, and as a jumping off point. Um, you've gone too far by making things too safe. Concept is not one that I necessarily would particularly enjoy playing with, mm-hmm. just because that just seems like a very uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable is a good place way to put it. It's like and it's like all right, that's that's a concept I don't even really want to touch with a 10 foot pole and like, if that's the, that's the basis yeah. of our game well, i think i'm gonna play a different game uh
2: mm. yeah because right now that's definitely something that i feel like could be a very kind of triggering topic just because it's it's a it's a um it's the focus of a lot of kind of culture war arguments right. right now
1: i mean yeah our notions of safety right are completely uh different depending on where you are in society right i mean one is just basically yeah. bodily and mental autonomy Whereas the other is like, how come I can't drive my monster truck across over the top of your roof of your car? Yeah. I was like you know, yeah. I,
3: I find like they're they're sometimes it's like, you know, my the, the people that are like saying my body, my choice about maths while being like the, the anti abortion people at the same time. It's like, do you do you do you really like not see the irony there kind of thing? Right. And and so it's very Totally. Or the people who,
2: as you were mentioning before about anti-vaxxers, you know, it's like they don't they believe that they shouldn't have to take this vaccine. And on one hand, like I I can empathize with why you feel that way. But also, if you don't take that vaccine, you are going to get other people sick. And that is the point where your 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 freedom <clears throat> is now infringing upon the freedoms yeah. of others. And, and
3: like, yeah, sure, you don't want to take vaccines, fine, but you can't send your kids to my school. And exactly. It's like, you know, that is your choice. This is the consequence of that choice. If you want to accept the consequence of your choice, then yeah, sure, go for it. Don't take your vaccine. That's fine. But at the same time, yeah. now you're butting up against the, where, where other right, people's right. rights start.
2: And it's like you know, I remember when um, when there were all the big arguments pro and against gay people being able to get married. And one of the big arguments was, "Well, where is it going to end? You'll next you'll see people marrying dogs and children and blah." And it's like, um, actually, where it ends is it ends at the people who can actually consent yeah. to marriage. <laughs> like <laughs> animals and children cannot consent to marriage, so that is where it ends. Yeah, somebody uh, somebody said, uh, and I thought this like.
3: Uh, the people who make the argument that gay marriage will lead to things like bestiality and pedophilia are the people who aren't really thinking of it's it's not a man and his, his thinking partner it's a man and a sex toy <laughs> yeah uh, so it's like okay if if you're reducing another person to the same level as a un, un-, un- somebody who's something or someone who's unable to give consent uh, informed consent then that's a weird worldview. And I don't know if you should be
0: the one making these decisions for other
3: people in the first place.
1: Yeah. I could see how it would be, uh, you know, back in the gaming. That, that's a high trust exercise. If this is something you want to explore in game, yeah. right? that's, that's I uh, I don't, yeah. I don't even know how you do that in a situation where you are with people who are clearly not agreeing with you, but that you're otherwise, you know, quite uh, sympathetic with, because I think that could be very, Dangerous to your relationship. That could be a potential rupture in your relationship if you're having to express that in your, you know.
3: So, for uh, let's, there there are games where I wouldn't necessarily play them with strangers, yeah. but I would play them with friends who I trusted. Um, and there are themes in those in games that it's the same way. It's like, okay, I don't necessarily trust strangers, but you, you, I trust. I know that you're going to handle it respectfully, and I know at the end we're still going to be able to talk to each other. Um, yeah. and so from that point of view it's like yes if a a like there's a couple of people who have thought, hey i want to play with this idea will you play with me i'd be like okay here's the here's the ground rules that i'm going to lay out for us and as long as we can agree on those then yeah sure yeah. um but just to your average like yeah i don't know you from adam and i'm going to see this on a con list and it's like yeah i'm probably not going to choose that one at
2: a convention exactly
1: yeah i might be interested to hear how it played out but i'm definitely yeah. not yeah yeah yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess where all the, the safety tools would come in yeah. at this point, yeah.
2: Now, one of the big threats in this story is the threat of euphoride. You know, so here's this drug that takes away your memories and also kind of reshapes you and kind of makes you more compliant. Um, do you think that having something like euphoride as a threat in a game that kind of takes away some of your kind of mental agency... Is an interesting threat to have in the game or I think having it
3: I think it's one of those I I, I would like, okay, yes, there is this thing, it exists, but it won't be used on the PCs is mm-hmm. is a is a way I would play with it. I, I wouldn't necessarily have it be a thing that could happen to the pcs unless it was with okay we're going to talk about this we're going to we're going to work through this is this is what's going to happen if this happens uh kind of thing because it's it's again it's your ta- it's taking away agency from the players and the player character so from that perspective it'd be like having it in the world is one thing necessarily having it happen to one of the players is a different thing
1: would it be interesting to have um if not euphoride something like that that's like a literal devil's bargain you lose agency for some period in the game, but the trade-off is you come out of it with like more psychic powers or something like that. You know, and it's something like a some, some devil's bargain type situation. Yeah, so and, and that- that's,
3: that's what I'm saying. It, it would be like, okay, this is how it's gonna work, and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this horrible thing, but this is what's gonna happen, and like let the player say, Yes, that is a thing I want, or no, this is not a thing I want. Um, mm. but not just a, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this thing and you're gonna lose all your, and then Oh yeah, we're gonna make up for it by giving you this. So like mm. it's a it goes back to that informed choice thing. It's like, all right, this is what's going to happen if you let this happen. And okay. and giving it to the, the player that way.
1: Would it also I think sort of Jeff, you talked about this in the the pre-meetup group. Would it be also interesting to frame it as you've come out of your your character is sort of a tabula rasa because they have so this is the beginning of a campaign rather mm-hmm. than something that's to an existing character. You've been under Euphoride and you've come out of it. And you're starting to recover or understand the things that were your character had experienced in the past. So you're sort of a blank slate at the beginning of the game. And then you can decide whether you want to revert to this antisocial thing that you were in the past. Or you want to, you know, go forward with this, this new path. Um, would that be an interesting launching point for a game? Again, with the proper group and consent, you know.
3: Yeah, that, that I would play. Because, uh, yeah. again, that's not. It's like, this is the premise of the game. Okay, now you have buy-in. This is like, all oh, right, I yeah. this is the premise? Okay, yes, I would like to play that game. Uh, as opposed to, okay, uh, this is the game you pitched me. This is the game we're playing.
2: <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's two different totally. things, yeah. Now, Misha, have you played Paranoia?
3: Uh, I don't think I have. I might have, but I don't remember it.
2: <laughs> I haven't played Paranoia, but the little I know of it, I, I, I believe it takes place in some far future And like, there's some like overbearing government that insists that you're always happy and you're always smiling. And if you're, and if you find somebody who's not happy, you report them. And it's very kind of PVP kind of game. And I would love to like, like sign up for a game of paranoia at some con at some point when, you know, we don't have a pandemic going on. Uh, But I, I would be curious to chat with somebody who, has played Paranoia and has read this book to see if they feel like there's, if there's much, um, what's the overlap. word Overlap
1: for? or, yeah. yeah.
2: Sure, overlap, compatibility, and, synchronicity, synchronicity right. was the word I was like, well, talking about. What
1: yeah. I know about Paranoia, again, I haven't played, I have one of the rule sets, is it's more satirical, although I know it can be played straight, but it's more satirical, yeah. where this is clearly not satirical, this book, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, al- it's this allegorical, is a so possibly, but it's definitely not satirical. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Paranoia is the friend computer one.
1: Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's it's much more played as a a in joke as opposed to no, I think this guy might be serious.
1: Right, uh, right, yeah. There was the one tiny in joke in here, which is when he recreates that whole on the dead planet. He recreates his, his lab and everything, and there's the the uh, the tools from the Acme Acme uh, <laughs> Engineering Corp. And so it's, I think it's. Jack Williamson basically saying that our character is Wile e. Coyote, that his plans are just doomed to failure. They're getting more and more elaborate, but they're just doomed to failure and they're going to blow up in the most weird, spectacular way. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, um, he, he's not otherwise noted for sort of like that kind of humor, but it just seemed to me like that just jumped out at me, at me a little bit.
2: You know, we have our kind of this main character who is, like, he's like a talented scientist or whatever, but then, like near the end of it, he kind of develops this like godlike ability to kind of like create anything out of anything. I-, I would be curious to see like how would like, and that's another thing I encounter when I think about like um like an like I've never played Amber Diceless, um but like just kind of having these characters who have like godlike abilities. Um, I don't know. Like, is that something that like you'd really want to have super codified, or do you kind of like the idea of keeping it really kind of loose and flexible?
3: Uh, When I play, like, games where that's a thing, I tend to keep them a little looser or, like, uh, constrain them in. It's like, I have godlike powers to do, like, this subset of things. Um, Like, I have... I can manipulate any metal. Like, okay, that's... that's, But I can't, like... Sand isn't a metal, so I can't do anything with sand. So it it kind of... It depends. Either keep it like loose and yes the characters can literally do anything which means that the world can literally do anything um or just like put like a constraint or two on it. it's like okay yes you are super powerful in this thing and like be hyper specific about it
1: um and again i think a, a narrative a system that's more narrative than quantitative will probably work better so yeah, again yeah. i don't i don't think champions would work that well for this or gurps for that matter but something again in the fate or PB, PBTA range might work better.
3: Or even just like, uh, like we, uh, I have a friend that we've been doing a, a Diceless PBTA, kind, not even PBTA. It's just pure Diceless narrative. We're, we're making shit up as we go along. Um, oh, cool. and it's like, yeah. So like, yeah, there, there's, there's some definitely some power creep going on. Uh, like our, our character yeah. started out as special ops, uh, team fighting, uh, the supernatural. And now they've like kind of sort of ascended to godhood. But like they each kind of have their own little domains, so right. it's it's kind of interesting, right. uh, a little weird.
2: So if if you're doing totally diceless, I would love to hear like how do you guys handle conflict resolution? Uh,
3: mostly, it's hey, would it be cool if my character did this? Yeah, okay, cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, like
3: the 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 game is not PvP, so it's not really a, a, There's not a lot of like any conflict resolution is hey, would this be cool? And, and yeah. if the other patient says, no, it wouldn't, or how about we do this instead, you know, kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. there's very few things where it's like, oh, no, that wouldn't be cool at all, uh, kind of thing.
2: Yeah. Uh, so. Right, I mean... There's not a whole lot of, hey, would it be cool if my character beat your character up? Yeah, not so much. I mean, our <laughs> characters
3: are on the same team, so it doesn't, that part doesn't happen. It's
0: like...
2: <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> right, and um, in this case, the limitations of Forrester's abilities, I mean, they're incredible, right? He creates stuff out of, you know probability in atoms he can teleport across. but it's limited by his his specific psychology he just can't do this like he can't do this via rational thought because you no, know, his brain tells him, tells him this should be impossible and then he can't do it right or his emotions. And he's t-
2: also limited by he can't he can't use rotomagnetics for destruction oh, no he can't use uh, psychopsychics right psychophysics yeah. for destruction only for creation right because
1: it's part of so the So there's whole- a
2: constant is this destruction or is this creation question always has to be on the table. Right right
1: and so I mean at the very um at this very metaf- uh, metaphysical level, right? Which he's very interested in. And, um, you know, and they're talking also about time is real, but it's a side effect in this book. So it's something that we perceive, but it's not the essential thing, mm-hmm. right? And so this is like the stories beamed back to us from the far future in a way. But yeah, until until Carpenter, lim- uh, Carp- Forrester, Forrester overcomes his limitations, he'll never really be able to tap into this stuff mm-hmm. a- on an at-will basis. So he's self-limiting, in terms of the, the harm he can cause. And so, yeah, you can build that into the game. Say, oh, yeah, you can do all this incredible stuff, but you cannot directly destroy the universe, yeah, you know, or other sentient beings because of that, because the actual nature of this thing, you can, you know, potentially work your way around a party p- problem of an invading alien force, but you cannot directly harm any of the invading aliens, let's say, yeah, right, like, with your powers. Oh, that I didn't... Be I yeah. just
3: set it so that anybody who walked over this bridge would collapse to their death. I didn't actually harm them;
1: right.
3: they chose to walk over the bridge. You know, there's <laughs> always loopholes,
1: <laughs> right? Uh, but even then, maybe the universe wouldn't let that happen. Maybe it would be like, uh, you know, um, it would let the bridge collapse, but just when the first puts, first puts their weight on it, and it collapses before they can cross. Yeah. And then, you know, they have to re- that'll stop them from invading your country at least for a little while. Yeah. But so maybe that's some that would be an interesting thing to play with. I don't yeah. know how long you could get. How much mileage you could get out of it, but I think there's something something to be had there.
3: I think it would either be really frustrating or really fun. Like if you mm-hmm. went into it knowing, like, okay, we're going to try to poke holes in this scenario and like try to find the loopholes, uh and the and the, whoever was playing the the like GM character or whatever was like going along with it. Whereas if it was no, this character's actually was actively trying to do something useful, yeah, and the GM is keeping thwarting them by saying no, the universe says no, Uh right. So that that. As long as, you know, the premise and then that buy-in was there, it could right, be
1: right. fun. I mean, I think it would be interesting because to get the, even in, you know, uh, very many uh, role-playing games, not all, obviously, still Force is the, yeah should be the last, uh, you know, is always the ultimate resort, but sometimes it's the first resort. And can we get it to be somewhere farther down the chain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. And that would be interesting. Uh, maybe not for everybody, because again, we, we play for different reasons, yeah. and some of it's just, just you know, stress relief, you know. So,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I play Doom for a very different reason than I play like Stardew Valley, and I was like, sometimes you just need to be frustrating and patch things.
2: Right. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Misha, it's been really fun having you on. Is there any kind of last thought about the humanoids that you wanted to express that we didn't get a chance to get to? Uh
3: so I mean definitely it's one of those read it for yourself you might get more something different out of it than i got out of it it wasn't my favorite book ever or anything it wasn't the worst like i didn't throw it feel like throwing it across the room at any point so that it's already steps (laughs) up above some books i've read uh and not hit my uh i have a um 100 minus my age rule where it's like okay i if i am not enjoying a book after that point page number of pages so it's like I give myself permission to stop reading it so it didn't hit that so
2: right <laughs> I like that That's, 100 it's, it's a, a very rule. good rule it's <laughs> a very good rule especially right. if
3: you're a completionist <laughs> who reads as much as I do it's a like, very yeah. good
1: rule because it also accommodates with to
2: how much time you have left on this earth mm-hmm. too right like, alright so. <laughs> at 20 pages in I don't like
0: the next
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> amazing so Misha do you have any projects you're working on that you would like our listeners to know about
3: uh, so right now uh uh, i have a stretch goal for a game called thirsty sword lesbians uh which is up on kickstarter right now um we're in the final bits of getting a rune uh done we're waiting for the last little bit of art uh so if you're a backer of that there you should have a a pdf of the uh game in your inbox that's waiting for art that we can send out um and i'm finishing up um, nightingales which is a larp about nursing and times of war uh, which Ooh. hopefully we'll have out next year Interesting. It's, it's a little tricky to play test because it's one of those you need to be in the room with somebody else yeah you
0: can't really do that right now <laughs> you can't
3: do that. like we had big plans to get it out this year like finish doing the final play testing this year and then right. like march all of our cons are canceled it's like oh well i guess yeah. we're not gonna do that
1: all right. Speaking of LARPs, very briefly, do you, could you see doing a game a LARP with the different the three different factions that are in this book? There's the humanoids oh, absolutely. themselves, absolutely. and then the compact, and then the right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You, be- g- you could def- There's definitely some fodder for for um, a. Uh... Parlor style LARP where it's like, all right, you these are the, you're in this faction, you're in this faction, you're in this faction. Work it out. Come out. What's going to happen to your world? How is the solution going to come out? You got to convince the other people to to do this kind of thing.
2: All right, cool. All right, cool. I like it. Now I'm just imagining like, what if it's a vampire? LARP that takes place right now during the pandemic, so all the vampires have to use Zoom to connect with one another. <laughs> they, they can't see each other because they yeah. Zoom. Well, just it, like, it, oh. it
0: depends
3: on like which style of vampire. Like some uh, some vampires, like okay, well, so modern cameras work again because they don't rely on silver to right. processing, and that was what was keeping them from showing up in mirrors and old timey photographs. And now they have to learn
2: everything. It's a whole thing.
0: There's, I, I know way too much. About
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: amazing! Amazing! All right, and they're all starving <laughs> to death
1: because they can't get any victims. Yeah, that's the, thing, the, the house. for the vampires.
3: Like, <laughs> exactly. like, nobody, everybody, so, so anybody. Time you get within six feet of somebody, they're like, uh, "What
2: are you doing?" All right, yeah. and nobody's, nobody's inviting you into
1: their home. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And Misha, if people want to find you on the internets, where can they do that?
3: Uh, Easiest place to find me uh, is on Twitter. Uh, I am BG Gameworks, which stands for Black Girl Gameworks, which is my website.
2: Amazing. And Hoy, where can folks find us? Right.
1: Uh, If you like us, uh, please rate us and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It helps people find us. Uh, Please give us feedback at appendixnbookclub at gmail.com or on Twitter at, at appendix underscore n. We're also on Facebook, and I think We is kind of more abundant, but I think we're there as well. Um, and Jeff, how about our Patreon?
2: Sure. Um, if you like us, or if you don't like us, and you still want to give us money, please do because we like your we like your financial support. Um, but no, seriously, um, if you want to uh, show us some support, please head on over to Patreon.com/slash Appendix and Book Club. We get to chat with our patrons about the books before we record the episodes with our guests. So earlier today, we had a very fun conversation with Adam Stiers and Matt Richards about the humanoids. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to a few of our other patrons as well. Um, Trevor Bramble, David J. Hotstream, David Moreau, Vixter, Damo Soklas, Noah Green, Lucio Nothlich Pimentel. Thank you all for your support. We really appreciate that. And um, episode 84 is going to be Gardner F. Fox's Kothar and the Conjurer's Curse. And episode 85 will be Fred Saberhagen's The Black Mountains. So, Misha, thank you for being on the show.
1: So much fun and an honor.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: All right. See you in the stacks. Read
2: on. The
3: library is closed.